Nerds. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Ready to expand your financial game? NerdWallet can coach you on smart strategies like choosing investments, finding your next credit card, and setting a budget that works for you. Score major points towards your summer vacation by learning expert tips for choosing a high-yield savings account and how to build wealth by investing in index funds. Slide into summer with smarter decisions in 2024. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What's going on, everybody? Jared Sandler welcoming you in to another episode of the Justice Set Conversation. For those of you who are back for more, thanks for the continued support. For those of you here for the first time, Welcome. Hopefully you enjoy. Episode 53 is with the legendary writer and broadcaster Tim Kirkjian. If you know Tim, you know that he is an incredibly passionate person, a great storyteller, and someone who every time he speaks, you can just feel the love he has for the game of baseball. It's so fun to talk with Tim and and hear from him. And uh, I was so excited to get to chat with him. Plus, we'll, we'll get to hear him talk a little bit about uh, his basketball days, Tim. If you if you know me, you know I'm not uh, I'm not a, a giant by any means. I'm actually taller than Tim, and, and Tim's uh, a few years older than me. Uh, but Tim is so highly regarded for his basketball playing abilities. Uh, there is a a I don't want to say incredibly tight knit, but there's a a relatively tight knit circle uh, within the world of baseball for, for those in the game who love playing pickup basketball, especially during spring training. A lot of people will congregate, meet, whether it's in Scottsdale or Glendale or wherever, and have these baseball people pickup games. And uh, I've, I've never had the chance to play with Tim, and, and Tim will share in this interview physically. You know, he's not the same as he used to be, uh, but there are legendary stories of Tim who, who might be 5'4", five, 5'5", five, five, but just such a good player, and I love getting the chance to hear him talk about that as well. Uh, before we get going with this episode, just want to remind you, I'd really appreciate if you would subscribe. I'd appreciate if you would share this link with anyone whom you think might be interested. Uh, comment, click that thumbs up button, whatever it is. I, I really appreciate it. It all makes a difference. It all really does help out. Without further ado, though, here we go. Episode 53 of the Justice Set Conversation with the great Tim Kirchner. All right, Tim, I, I know you grew up in a baseball family. I think I read not only your dad, but your two older brothers uh, loved the game. I think your brothers were, were really talented players. So I guess, uh, did you have a choice to, as to whether or not baseball was going to be a part of uh, what you loved to do growing up? It just seemed like that was the language that you guys spoke in the Kirkshen house. Yeah, it was the only language we spoke in our house. Uh, my dad didn't just love the game. He had a great feel for the game. He was a good little player in his own right. And it's what he taught his kids how to do. And that's all we ever really talked about when I was a kid, uh, much to my mom's dismay. My dad was a brilliant man. He was a Ph.D. in mathematics, but it was all practical application to baseball. That's what he was always interested in. He never missed our games. And uh, and I went to Walter Johnson High School in Bethesda, Maryland. I mean, once you go to a high school named after the greatest pitcher of all time, it's pretty easy to make up your mind, and maybe I should try to make a career of this. 
Yeah, I, you know, I, I read you mentioned your dad that uh, he was a mathematician and a statistician, and baseball obviously is is such a numbers game. Maybe now uh, with all this advanced data more than ever, but but when you were growing up, uh, did I, I guess were the, the the statistical sides of things a big part of the conversation because of uh, your dad's educational background? Yes. Uh... Math was always involved in the things that we did, but it was more of, like I said, a feel for the game. My father didn't, you know, grow up telling me that Ted Williams hit 344 three years in a row or whatever. He was telling me what a great hitter Ted Williams was and what a great pitcher Lefty Grove was and Bob Feller was and Jimmy Fox was that as a hitter. These are the things I learned growing up, but there would be times we would just jump into the baseball encyclopedia. I, w- I remember Bob Horner once said, or Bobby Cox said of Bob Horner, it was said of Bob Horner, he strikes out only two times for every home run that he hits. So if he hits, you know, 50, he only strikes out 100 times. And my dad goes, wait a minute. And we went and started looking up Ted Williams' strikeout numbers and Joe DiMaggio's strikeout numbers. DiMaggio was almost one-to-one with strikeouts and homers. It was a long time ago. But that's the kind of stuff that my father taught me. He taught me where to look. And once I found it there, he would teach me mathematically how to get to the answer. And then what sort of an influence did your brothers have? I'm sure I guess it all kind of falls in the same bucket, but uh, did they influence you in any different sort of a way as far as baseball is concerned? Well, they were such good players, and I was the youngest of three, so I certainly followed them along. They certainly showed me how to play, and it's always been such a helpful thing for me over the years that when we sit around and just talk about baseball, just the three boys, or when my dad was alive, the four of us would sit around and talk about the game. We were all speaking the same language because it's the same language we spoke growing up. So now when my oldest brother, Andy, used to say, you know, that Lance Berkman, he's not a good hitter. He's a great hitter. Uh, it really would, would teach me a little bit more that he watches him all the time on television and can see something in Lance Berkman that not everyone else can see. And that's always a helpful thing is my brothers, when I when we would, when we speak about anything, we're speaking the same language. I think I read that it was a basketball coach who – encouraged you to get into writing is is that true and i guess what was the genesis of of tim kirkshin the writer yeah my basketball and baseball coach were the same and he he also told me to become a jockey someday that's how small i was in high school but he said look you you need to take your love of sports and do something with it um so i went to work for the school paper Um, My junior year, I was a sports editor my senior year, and I was really bad at it, too. I was a terrible writer, and some people are born to do this. I certainly was not. One of my gym teachers once told me uh, after a story I wrote in the school paper, which was called The Pitch, by the way, Walter Johnson High School's school paper was The Pitch. The yearbook was called The Wind-Up. but my gym teacher, Mr. Klein, came up to me and he said, uh, that might be the worst story I've ever read in this paper. Um, I'm ho- I hope you're not planning on making this your life's work. And, <laughs> and that's what I did. I learned how to write. I got a lot better at it. And uh, But he kind of upset me a little bit. If I was that bad, 
maybe I better get a whole lot better. And thankfully, I got a whole lot better because I was really bad. You said his name was Mr. Klein? Yes. Did, just curious, and, and not in a you know look-at-me-now type of way, but did you, after you really started to pursue this, did you ever engage with him or, or talk with him and kind of laugh about that moment, or did you never have the chance to? I never had the chance to. He died young, but even if he hadn't and I had a chance to say something, I would never say anything. Not to an elder, a teacher, a coach like that, never. So uh, if he figured it out on his own, that's one thing, but I I would never say anything like that. Now, I think a lot of people uh, in the Metroplex uh, you know, know you as, as someone who covers baseball at large and uh, you know, on the national stage, but I, I think some people remember your time with the covering the, the Texas Rangers with the Dallas Morning News. How did you get to the Dallas Morning News? Well, my sports editor at the Washington Star, which is my real first job out of college, was Dave Smith. And he, I went in there 1980 and begged to cover the minor league team, the Alexandria Dukes in town. And I'm thinking, well, I'll never get this. I'm too young. It was a class A team. And he looked at me and he said, well, thank God you volunteered because I couldn't find anyone else who wanted to do this. <laughs> So that's when he recognized that I really loved baseball. So when the star folded, and then I went to the Baltimore News American, and I was there for about two months, and it essentially folded. So I lost two jobs in two months. Um, Dave Smith called me and offered me a job in Dallas. So I went, I went to Dallas in the end of 81, and then in a big turn of events. Um, Skip Bayless went from the uh, Dallas Morning News to the Times Herald. Big columnist left our paper. Randy Galloway replaced him as columnist. And it's two weeks before spring training. And Dave Smith, my boss, said, all right, you're not ready to do this, but you're the, you're going to cover this team. You're going to be the beat writer to cover the, Yankee, uh, the Rangers. And that's how I became a full-time, full-time baseball writer before that i had covered in 79 a little 80 a lot 81 a lot but 82 was the first year that i was the official beat guy and that that was a big day for me and a uh, part of your time with the rangers I, I think you were able to cover one of the big characters in, in baseball and in, in doug Rader. What, what was it like covering him when he managed the rangers i think was uh, not right when you started covering the Rangers, but maybe a couple years after? Yeah, he, he managed the team in 83 and part of 84 and 85. He, I, I so thoroughly enjoyed being around him. He was so smart, not just baseball smart, smart, smart. His vocabulary was way better than mine, and he's a baseball player. That always troubled me a little bit he made me laugh a million times he scared me a couple times because he was so big and so strong but mostly he kept us entertained managing a major league team and i will always remember the times i had with him i remember walking through the weight room once back when the weight room was just like a small bedroom and the whole team used it and um he was doing some weights, and he told me to stand on the uh, the bicep curl machine. And I stood on top of the bicep curl machine, 
and he did the entire track <laughs> with me standing on the top of the weights. And I went, wow, this is one strong man. Oh, man. Now, Tim, we met uh, early on in the 2019 season when you were in Arlington to cover a game, and I, I interviewed you for the pregame show, and Eric Nadell told me I needed to ask you about Mickey Rivers, but we ran out of time. And so I, I made a note of that, and here we are several months later. And so I guess I, I don't know what I'm setting myself up for, but uh, if Eric tells me I need to ask you this, I figure it, it's it's worth asking. So he wanted me to ask you what it was like covering Mickey Rivers. <laughs> Well, the Mick's one of my favorite people I've ever met in my life. But my first spring there, 1982, I'd say we're three weeks into spring training, and Mickey Rivers asked me if he could borrow $1,000. And I had to tell him, Mick, Mick, I'm making $16,000 a year. You're making $450,000 a year, and you're asking to borrow money from me. I don't have any money. I'm only 24 (laughs) years old. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't make any money. But it was a hilarious exchange with Mickey. I had many of them. We were in Milwaukee one night, and it was freezing, and it was just terrible weather. And Mickey said something after the game. He said, man, the wind was blowing 68 degrees out there. He said, I felt like the lost Mohican, the lost. Mohican. Uh, Mickey was a piece of work in every way. He kept everybody laughing, including me, the whole time. And uh, I I don't think he ever had a care in the world. And that's one reason he was such a good player. Tim, I'm curious. You know, I, I get asked by people, man, does it stink that Mike Trout is in the Rangers division? And I tell them, no, it's great because I get to see this guy 18, 19 times a year if he stays healthy, and there's some really, really fun players to watch right now. Who's someone you miss watching from, you know, any previous era of baseball that you just had such great joy watching and, and you wish you could just watch him play a game again? Well, I saw Willie Mays play, so that's the end of that answer. I saw <laughs> Hank Aaron play, and I saw Roberto Clemente play. Those are three guys I would like to bring back and watch them play in their primes again. Uh, but much more recently, Pedro Martinez in his prime was a joke how good he was. I maintain 99-2000 are perhaps the two greatest seasons back-to-back that any pitcher has ever put together. Remember, this is American League East, DH League, middle of the steroid era, and he's pitching like it's 1968. That's how dominant he was. And I maintain that he had the best fastball, best curveball, and best changeup in the game all at the same time. I've never seen a pitcher that had the three best pitches in the game all at the same time. And it just, I just marveled because he was not a big man. He told me when his first year in rookie ball, he weighed 138 pounds. Even I weigh more than that. Not much, but even I weigh more than that. And he was throwing 93 miles an hour at 138 pounds. I said, Pedro, how can that be? And he's, well, God gave me that. So I would love to watch Pedro Martinez pitch again in his prime because it was breathtaking to watch. Tim, I know you used to, and I I don't think you do this anymore, but you used to tape out or cut out and then tape all the box scores from games. Why did you decide to do that? How long did you do it? And 
if I'm if I'm not mistaken, you don't do it anymore. Why did you stop? Yeah, I did that from 1990 to 2010. So I did it every day without missing a day for 20 years. And I'm not proud of that, believe me. But that Cal Ripken would – his streak doesn't come close to my streak, in my opinion. <laughs> and that's a joke, too, obviously. Um, I did it because I went from the Baltimore Sun to Sports Illustrated – and for the first time in my life, I became a national baseball writer. So instead of being the, you know, the guy who just covers one team and dabbles in others, I had to know what was going on with all 30 teams. So I kept a day-by-day book every day, which I still do. And I cut out every box score of every game for 20 years. So when I took a cross-country flight, I was going to see the Padres, and I hadn't seen them in a while. I could go through every box score and have a – you know, at least a working knowledge of what they're doing with their bullpen, et cetera. And I only quit because the newspaper business has been dying slowly for years and years. And it took, I couldn't find 15 box scores in the, in the paper every day. Some days I'd only get six and I'd have to look for the next nine the next day. So it, it became frustrating. So I, I finally relented and went to the internet, but I, I missed my box score book on trips across country. All right, Tim, one thing I know we share is a love for basketball uh, and, and, and playing basketball. Uh, I, I hope that uh, when I'm your age, I'm still able to, to play pickup basketball the, the way I hear stories about uh, you playing. And, and I'm just curious, first of all, where did the love for, for basketball start? And you know, a lot of people, when they get to uh, college or whenever their, their competitive careers over, you know, they, they don't really – play sports anymore what is it about basketball that you love so much that you've been playing it all these years well it's a beautiful game and i love baseball more than anything but as a kid i played so much basketball that was back at a time where we used to play sport in season i didn't play baseball in november or december or january that was basketball season so i love doing it so much it was my it was the best way to stay in shape which has always been important and i still i'm terrible now but and i don't play much hardly at all anymore for obvious reasons i'm 63 i'm five four and a half i need an artificial hip so it's not it's not looking real good right now but i still love to shoot around that's still what i like to do and i just love the competition of it and i played in an old dog league until i was almost 60 and old dog was exactly that a bunch of guys who you know played a little bit in their lives all got together it's still a very competitive situation and yet nobody gets hurt i'm not sure you can do that in baseball nearly as easily as you can in basketball what how would you describe your game well <laughs> now it's terrible <laughs> back in your prime uh, look, I, I'm not going there. I, I, I can move the ball around. I love to play. I'm, I'm not going any further than that, but <laughs> I, it was great fun. I've, I've, I've heard, I've heard that you are fiercely competitive and a very good distributor of the basketball. That's, that's the scoundrel report I've heard. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm curious, Tim, we, uh, you know, I've, I've been able to, uh, to in spring training connect with certain people over basketball. You know, the, these people in sports, they, they tend to love multiple sports. We're, 
Were there any people that you you developed a relationship with because maybe of a, a common interest of playing pickup basketball over the years? Yeah, I mean, there used to be a day every spring training in Phoenix we played basketball, sometimes three, four nights a week, depending on the week. And I played against all sorts of guys, Sandy Alderson, Billy Bean, uh, Ken Maka, uh, I, I, Rick Burleson, Billy Bavese. I played against a lot of players, executives, and, and I played probably most against A.J. Preller, formerly of the Rangers, now with the Padres. And he, by the way, is a nightmare to try to guard, especially for me, because he's bigger than me, who isn't. He's younger than me, who isn't. And he can go right through me now. I don't think I could have guarded him when I was his age. But I've really enjoyed playing with him over the years. But it's been a while. But he's one of those guys I connected with through basketball. Uh, but I always, always try to get on his team. Because if I end up guarding him, we're not going to win. <laughs> you know, it's funny that you say that. Because when I ask that question, he's the person who came to mind for me. That you know, My relationship with AJ started on the basketball court in spring training. Uh, it was actually an outdoor court, and he wanted to play one-on-one two hours before a game, and I had to broadcast the game, and I didn't think he really understood that. But this was AJ Preller. It was my first year, and I couldn't say no. I went there. He wanted to play best of seven one-on-one. He, he beat me the first three games. They were somewhat competitive games. And then the fourth game, I was like, I've had enough of this. I got up on him 10 nothing, and he said, you're not going to score again. And sure enough, I end up losing 12-10. to 10. And I just walked away amazed at what he was able to do. And some of it looks so unorthodox, too. He's got such an odd-looking shot, but he's so quick and he's so good. Yeah, we played two-on-two during the 2011 World Series in St. Louis. Two-on-two at a little gym near the hotel, and they won the first three games, and they're beating us in the fourth game, and we start to catch up, and he just made sure that we didn't win. He took over the game, and they beat us again, and all is well in the world because A.J.'s team one again. That's just how it works, how it works with all wildly competitive people, and he's one of them. I've only seen him kick a chair once, and it was uh, after a very rare pickup basketball loss in spring training. Uh, Tim, I, I want to ask you about TV, because uh, like so many in your role, uh, the, the, the industry has evolved, your responsibilities have evolved, and uh, you know, maybe when you first started, it was just writing, and now you do so much on TV. When that first became a part of your responsibilities, what were some of the biggest challenges you faced in making that transition? Well, I, I spent a fortune on clothes because <laughs> I would be sitting next to Harold Reynolds, who's wearing a $3,000 suit, <laughs> and I looked terrible sitting next to him. So I had to go out and buy all the clothes, um, I wear more makeup than my wife. I had to get used to that. And uh, spend a lot of time walking around in a circle talking to myself, which is not a healthy situation. But that was the <laughs> biggest adjustment that I had to make. Uh, my newspaper days taught me 
you know, where the story was, how to get the story, how to present the story. But, of course, it was different on TV. Um, but I learned, not quickly, I wouldn't say, but I learned, all right, here's how you have to do this. I had a little trouble with writing too long and pieces were too long. But I eventually figured out how to get to the point, be as efficient as possible, and get the heck out of there. That's what uh, my newspaper beat writer days taught me how to do the uh, be radio and pretty much everything else. Tim, one thing that I think stands out about you is the, the research you do and, and some of the nuggets that you find and uh, some of the deep dives. And, and I, I love this about baseball. And I guess this is even back when you were growing up, you, you talked about uh, the conversations you'd have with your father. Uh, and there's just so much information available. And, and maybe, you know, some people like some and not all, and that's okay. What is something that you would like to learn about the game of baseball that maybe you haven't had the time to learn yet for whatever reason? Is there an unchecked box that you'd kind of like to dive deep towards or into uh, as far as the game of baseball? Yeah, and I don't think we're we're ever going to get there because I don't think the numbers are reliable enough. But I love pitch counts, and I would love to go back and see – how many pitches Nolan Ryan was throwing for the Angels on a nightly basis or per start basis uh, in the early 70s. And I keep being told there's really no good data on that because, you know, today if a guy throws 90 pitches, he's ready to to go out. We won't let him go more than 110. If he's faced the lineup more than once, that's it for him. I mean, I would just love to see how many pitches – Warren Spahn threw in the 16-inning shutout against Juan Marichal. And how many did Marichal throw? Um, that's the kind of stuff that still intrigues me to this day. Our pitchers get hurt more than uh, ever now. It's a paradox. The more we protect them, the more often they get hurt. I'd just like to know how many pitches those guys were throwing. Bob Gibson in the 60s, pitching every, every fourth day, not every fifth. And how did his arm hold up from all that? That's the kind of stuff that intrigues me, and I don't think I'll ever know the answer. I mean, he's just the best, isn't he? I I think anyone who speaks with the degree of passion on a subject the way Tim does when it comes to baseball is interesting to listen to. And... I love hearing Tim talk about baseball. I love how much he cares and loves the game. And uh, it was awesome hearing him share some stories, some background. And uh, hopefully you enjoyed it as well. Uh, Again, would really appreciate if you consider subscribing to this channel. You can find all of the Justice Sec episodes past. And, and of course, as they come out future, uh, we've got other pieces of content as well. Interviews, commentaries, what have you. Would really, really appreciate if you would take some time to to subscribe, maybe check it out, uh, the channel, share the link, whatever the case might be. Well, that's going to do it for us here with episode 53. We got more coming your way. Until then, stay safe, be healthy. We'll talk to you later.